0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of The Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat. and I know we said that we were going to have some interviews, and they are coming a little bit later this week, but for this episode, it's just going to be me and Horwat, the, uh, the same thing that you get, and hopefully the same thing you enjoy on a weekly basis, but we have plenty to talk about, even though the Pittsburgh Penguins are off for the next week still, we are here talking about what we've seen through the team's first 46 games, what we think could be improved upon over the next 30 some games to get them into a postseason spot. We got plenty to talk about today. Three reasons why the Pittsburgh Penguins scoring is so much lower than it was last season, three reasons why the Pittsburgh Penguins are in 27th in the National Hockey League in goal scoring right now certainly far away from the impetus of what this team has been over the entirety of the Sidney Crosby and of Genny Malkin era so we'll get into that and then at the end of the show Eastern Conference power rankings we're not going to go team by team we're just simply going to talk about where the Pittsburgh Penguins stand as far as them amongst the Eastern Conference obviously it is a very very what's the word I'm looking for here Horwaty it's it's there's a lot of parity in
1: the east right it's a tight race you can leave it at that it's a close race i'm looking at the eastern standings right now and you know somehow boston is kind of pulling away again the florida panthers are up there the rangers are up there those are the you know the three top teams but um it's a tight race i mean penguins have 51 points it's only a handful up on the montreal canadians who aren't supposed to be going anywhere this year i don't even think they think they're going anywhere this year um that's it's uh all very tight i forget at one point uh, about a month or two ago when it was um each team in the metro essentially was separated by about five games yeah. at the most so it's still pretty tight it's still anyone's uh anyone's spots those wild card spots are up for grabs essentially
0: yeah, and there's a variety of games played amongst different teams. The Pittsburgh Penguins, obviously, on the tail end of that, having a lot of games in hand on a lot of these teams, which could which could help them going towards the latter part of the season. But let's talk a little bit about two forwards right now, because I think that everybody looking at the Pittsburgh Penguins sees a lot of problems with this team, and they're not wrong to. There are a lot of issues with this team. There are a lot of areas in which they could be getting better performances, but when you look at Kyle Dubas's plan coming into the first season as Penguins' general manager, it seemed simple. Rely on the top six to score. Rely on the bottom six for defense. That seems like it was the plan, does it not?
1: That's exactly what it seemed. It, 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 that was pretty evident when the, uh, when the trades and the signings were happening in, during the offseason in free agency. Uh, Riley Smith was supposed to come in and essentially be the new Jason Zucker. There was Nolichari coming in to obviously be a depth defensive-minded forwards it was Lars Eller coming in to be able to play both sides of the puck but mostly that defensive acumen was what stood out Mm -hmm. Um, you can see it in those signings that that's exact that was exactly the game plan it was let the top six roll the same way it did last season let them do the scoring let them have the offense um, and then allowed the and pretty much I mean last season we said this on quite a few occasions last season the bottom six couldn't score or play defense at bare minimum this time around they can play defense so it's it was a step uh in the right direction it was an improvement it's that's essentially what we're getting yet again there has not been much scoring from the bottom six but that defense has been much improved has it not
0: yeah, I think that's the one thing you have to look at when you're you're actually judging the bottom six. Neither of us are going to sit here and tell you that this Penguins' bottom six when compared to other teams' bottom sixes is a good group. I think we all understand that there is plenty of room for improvement for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the bottom six, but when you talk about the initial plan at the outset of the season of, hey, the bottom six needs to play defense and chip in at scoring whenever they can, they've held up their end of the bargain. When you look at combined goals allowed, now this is not total goals because – I'm talking about combined goals allowed from every single player in the bottom six. Last season, it was 212. This year, they're on pace to only allow combined 164 goals as far as the bottom six is concerned. That is a marginal drop. That is a marginal difference when it comes to how good the bottom six has been at keeping the puck out of the Pittsburgh Penguins net. And then you look at the offensive side of things and say, all right, well, does it come with a, a, an equal drop in goal scoring? It, it really doesn't. Last season... 2022-23, the bottom six combined for 60 goals for the Pittsburgh Penguins. 2023-24, they're on pace to score 53, so only a drop of seven goals total when it comes to goal scoring in the bottom six, and yet the defensive side of the puck has been so much more improved. They've certainly held up their end of the bargain.
1: That's exactly what they were supposed to do, stop the puck from going into their own net uh, and contribute every so often when when you can. Uh, it, it, regardless, I think you know you still want to see more production from you offensive production from the bottom six just because uh, you can't have a extre- you can't have an extremely successful team without um some sort of production on all four lines that, that that's what made that was the penguins bread and butter back in the 16 17 runs it was that ability to roll four lines over the boards um and have something uh, have something there You know, yeah, the 17 team, the fourth line of the 17 team wasn't necessarily going to score you a ton of goals, but there was definitely some speed and boy, this, if anything has declined in the last few years for the Penguins, it is their speed, Mm -hmm. but, um, being able to find some production would still be nice. I think it's at least getting that step in the right direction and, um, having essentially that plus minus really change Mm -hmm. has been huge.
0: Yeah, I think Jeff Carter is kind of like a microcosm of the entirety of the Penguins' bottom six right now. It's, hey, last year he was a liability for the most part. This year... He's not a liability. He's not necessarily been a, a massive asset for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He hasn't been contributing in ways of scoring. He's been contributing in other ways, and that's great. He's not a liability on the ice, but he's certainly not pushing the Penguins towards victories as far as keeping them from losing games, and I, I think that's the biggest difference with the Penguins when it comes to their bottom six is it's not a bottom six that's going to go out there and win you games. It's just a bottom six that's not going to lose you games, and yes, like you mentioned earlier, Horwat, that is a step in the right direction. Is it enough to push this team over the top? No. No, they needed their top six to come out and perform, and that's a completely different story when you look at the scoring from the top six this season. In 2022-23, the top six combined for 171 goals. This season, they're on pace to score 159, so not a significant drop, but a drop nonetheless, and when it gets interesting is when you look at the fact that three of those top six forwards are on pace to score more goals than they did last season. Sidney Crosby's on pace for 48 goals. That is a fast improvement on last season. Evgeny Malkin is on pace to score 29. That is a slight improvement on last season. Jake Gensel, another one that has a slight improvement that he's on pace for with 39 goals this season. And then you have Brian Rust, who's on pace to tie his goal total last season at 20. So why are they minus 12, if you want to look at it that way, in top six scoring this year? Two players, Ricard Raquel and Riley Smith. They've just fallen flat.
1: Goose eggs, almost. <clears throat> May as well be So that's what it's uh, felt like for Riley Smith and Ricard Raquel, especially um, in those in that gap between. Pretty much Raquel coming back. Yeah, he scored five goals, but it just it hasn't felt great since those five goals. And Riley Smith before getting hurt for about a month and a half or so, if not more. Uh, just hasn't been able to do anything Um, those are two those are supposed to be two keys to the top six I mean we always discuss the idea of Ricardo Kel being able to flip between the first and second line and being able to produce wherever he is Uh, and now he's muddling around on the third line because he just isn't producing it's he got those five goals after coming back from from his injury but hasn't done much since he's barely throwing helpers around he's only got 18 points on the year Um, and Riley Smith Don't know what happened there. He was supposed to be the quote-unquote more consistent and healthier Jason Zucker. Well, guess what? Not only has his consistency gone out the door, the dude's injured. And, I mean, there's nothing you can do about injuries, and that goes for Zucker as well. There was nothing anyone could do about the injuries for either player, but um, the production has just evaporated. He had that good run in October, uh, finding that avalanche of production and then kind of remaining steady for a little bit, but it seems that since then, uh for Riley Smith things have just fallen off fallen off the face of the earth almost, to the point where I mean, I know Kyle Dubas just signed him, but yeah.
0: if he's hitting the trade block already, that's that was a quick turnaround. Yeah, the good thing is the Pittsburgh Penguins got him for pretty cheap, only a third-round pick. I don't know if you recoup that if you look to trade him, and we'll get to that in a second here, but I think the biggest thing about that comparison that you made there, Horwath, between when Zucker was having trouble with injuries in his early seasons with the Penguins and what Riley Smith is doing right now and in his injuries, yes, you, you can't... You can't hold that against the players. Injuries happen. That was a hit, especially the one that that Riley Smith took. Most people you get hit like that into the boards by, I think it was Nikita Zadorov, either way it was it was somebody from the Canucks. His arm just got caught and and he had a what we assume is a wrist injury. It's an upper body injury. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. The only main difference is when Jason Zucker was injured a couple seasons ago, the Penguins were better equipped to have people take his spot. They were better equipped to have somebody take his spot and not leave the spot that they were already in as a vast disadvantage. You look at what the Penguins are looking at right now. Yeah, Drew O'Connor has stepped up in a big way, and we can't say enough good things about the performance that he has had this season, but when he steps up, where does that leave the third line? Clearly not as good. Understandably, now we have Ricardo Raquel in that slot, and you're hoping that he cuts back to what he's doing, but... The Penguins have a depth issue. If they get injuries in the top six, because of the way that Kyle Dubas gambled on this team and saying the top six is going to be who we rely upon for scoring, he can't afford to have injuries, especially longer-term injuries in the top six. He's had that now twice, three times, honestly, if you include Brian Rust's injury. With Mm -hmm. Rust, with Raquel, and now with Riley Smith, the injuries don't help, and certainly not the performance that both of these guys have had when they've been healthy. Both of them, as you mentioned, with long, lengthy, goalless droughts. And they're making $10 million combined against the cap, $5 million split down even between the two of them, which brings me to my next question here, Horwat. With the trade deadline coming up here in just about five weeks, should the Penguins consider trading one or both of Ricard Raquel and Riley Smith? And that is outside of the realm of this is a rebuild versus this is buying. Should they consider trading them regardless of what they decide to do, buying or selling at the deadline?
1: Yeah, we can get into the buying and the selling portion of this in a minute, but uh... At this point i would say so i've been saying uh since since earlier in the season that ricardo kell might be one of the players that doesn't finish the year here because he's a going into the season at least we were expecting him to kind of be a player that can produce at a pretty good rate scored any line that he's on um, and be a pretty solid option for any team in the nhl Uh, and he's a guy that could recoup the penguins a ton of assets or a ton or a good player in return it'd be a good nhl trade a good hockey trade almost um now it is pretty much becoming okay sell them off we need pieces and we need pieces and by pieces i mean assets in terms of draft picks in return nothing else because you're not going to get much else for them mm-hmm. and as for riley smith i mean i'm always fine with giving new guys in time to sort of get with the program, let them experience everything, and then let a second year almost be the trade year. But, I mean, that's not happening. There needs to be quicker turnaround for this team that wants to see production this year because as the core ages, you just never know when the wheels will eventually fall off for them. Mm -hmm. So suddenly the Riley Smith idea has just gone out the door and that if he's on a trade block, he's on a trade block and find something something to get in return because again like Raquel it won't be that much it seems
0: yeah I mean you mentioned that the Pittsburgh Penguins would get assets back whether that be prospects whether that be players that they can plug into the lineup which I would highly doubt for either of these guys that that's what you would get um, unless you try to take some salary cap back which might be the case because both of them are a five million dollar cap hit but you're gonna hopefully get space like that's the biggest thing that Kyle Dubas can go out there and acquire if he's getting rid of one of these guys is a little bit of flexibility in the offseason because as of right now this team is not good enough to say hey let's throw everything against the wall let's go you know all out for this season they just can't do that this team is not good enough this team has too many issues to afford going all out for this season so what you need to do is try to give this team a chance this year yes you should because Right now, where they're sitting in the standings, the sort of play that they've had over the last couple of weeks has been up and down, but they've shown that they can still play with some of the best teams in the National Hockey League. They can go toe-to-toe with some of these very, very talented teams whenever they want to. They just haven't been able to find the consistency. So I think you give them an opportunity. I don't think you sell the farm, but what I think you have to do is start trying to make some small, subtle moves for next season and for the offseason to not only give yourself a little bit of space under the salary cap, but also give some of these younger players a chance. You look at what Valtteri Pustin was able to do in the top six when he was initially called up you're not taking that big of a gamble by giving him Riley Smith's minutes by trading Riley Smith, simply because you open up the cap space, Valteri Poussinen is a much, much cheaper player, and you get the opportunity to, if he works out, go and address something else in the offseason so I think that's probably the reason why I would trade one of them for sure this season whether that's Ricard Raquel or Riley Smith that becomes a debate for another day and that's something we can debate until the cows come home but I think one of them for sure should at the very least be on the trade block simply to open up some space to give Kyle Dubas some flexibility in the offseason and to try to open that window towards next season while still giving this team an opportunity with some talented players in the lineup
1: yeah, and the issue, not even so much the issue, but that seems to be what uh, might, that just seems to be, might be, might be what's happening here. Maybe. Um, Elliot Freeman was on NHL Network last night, I wrote about it this morning, that the Penguins are priming themselves for a soft rebuild. Now, what that exactly means is still to be determined, I think, because, you know, for what it's worth, if this team believes, and Kyle Dubas believes that they can win still this year somehow, then... Don't expect many moves to be made because they're gonna they're they'll just try and roll with the team they're already not gonna be buyers it seems they're just going to be maybe a small addition here maybe a couple of trades out for assets like you're mentioning but a soft rebuild likely means Jake Ensel might find his way out as well in this conversation mm-hmm. the two we've been talking about already Riley Smith and Ricard Raquel also maybe shipped out and the prediction would essentially be you know, Maybe you compete a little bit this year. Maybe you recoup assets this year. But next year is going to be a different year. I'd expect maybe almost a complete overhaul of the lineup again. Um, I don't know exactly what a soft rebuild means, but Elliot Freeman put it that it could be two or three years until something really happens here. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be quite interesting. And I mean, we're, I know we had all this discussion about Smith and Raquel, but Jay Cancel's gonna can be a pretty big sign of yeah. where things are going because that's your that's your big chip, that's your big piece. That if the Penguins are going in the direction of time for a, a quick something quick to still have a good team while Crosby's still around. I mean, I think when it comes to the list of untouchables, if they're going even in a soft rebuild, it shortens quickly. It mm-hmm. becomes just key prospects. Crosby you said Patterson and I agree with that and maybe one of and not both one of Letang or Malkin Carlson there's not much you can do he's not even Carlson there's not much you can do he's not necessarily an untouchable he is just an immovable. yeah (laughs) Uh, but if he can find his game that's fine that's a good problem to have but there's just uh, nothing going on with Carlson in terms of moving him but that's about the list everyone else that's not bolted to the ground could be out
0: yeah, flexibility, assets, that's that's what Kyle Dubas is going to be looking to do, try to keep this team as competitive as possible while trying to just kind of get as much as he can. And when you talk about that, it all points the arrow to one thing this offseason, that the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to need top six forwards. Last year, there was a lot of issues. They tried to reshape this defense. They tried to reshape the bottom six. They had decisions to make in net. Their goaltender is locked up. At least their primary goaltender. Their defense, at least the top four, is all locked up. Whether or not you make a trade to try to shift something around is a different question. But it seems as if if you're going to this soft rebuild, rebuild, and like Elliot Friedman suggests then it seems like it's going to be all top six forwards that end up being the topic of conversation between now and March 8th to open up that cap space and to give players these opportunities. I already talked about Valtteri Pustin and Drew O'Connor has certainly stepped up into a top six role this season and impressed. Maybe you see a guy like Sam Poulin or Yessipul Yarvi get an opportunity at the NHL level, whether that's in the top six or the bottom six remains to be seen. But the Penguins have not many, but they have some options to try to keep this team at least balancing on a playoff spot while trying to open the window a little bit for next year and give Kyle Dubas some space to breathe going into the offseason. So it'll be interesting, obviously. Dubas mentioned that he wanted to give the team till the All-Star break. He told TSN, I believe it was last week, that he's going to give them a little bit longer and they're going to show him the course of action that he should take. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I know back on December 11th when he said he was going to give them to the All-Star break, I I looked at you and I said, that seems a lot longer than I would give them. But now that they're giving them even longer, listen, I'm just here to monitor and react because I'm not going to try to predict what's going to happen. Kyle Dubas sitting on his hands. He certainly thinks there's another shoe to drop with this Penguins team and we'll have to sit back and wait and see what it is. Maybe it's the power play and that's what I want to talk to you about Horwath, in the second segment. Mike Sullivan, he threw the power play in a little bit of a blender all the, over the weekend. A lot of people saying, "Finally, you address this horrid horrid part of the Pittsburgh Penguins game." We'll address it in the second segment here on the tip of the iceberg. Welcome back to the tip of the iceberg podcast before we get started talking about some big changes on the power play for what I saw a comment on YouTube. I believe it was after the Montreal Canadiens game and the game recap that I say the Pittsburgh Penguins formally a lot on the podcast. and he said, yeah, what is this a drinking game? Jesus. I mean, honestly, I've noticed it now more often in yesterday's recording and today's recording. I'd try to stop it and I might, but I kind of like the idea of there being a drinking game after me. So (laughs) maybe we're just going to keep going the way we have been.
1: It's just the way it is. Sometimes you, it's the, it's the name of the team.
0: It is one way or the other. You don't have to say it as formally as I do all the time, but you know, that's just wired into my brain. If, if you think in writing, like I do,
1: um, it's always Pittsburgh Penguins upon first mention, Yep. and then always team name, or, and then you can flip-flop back and forth. When it comes to team names, you could say just Pittsburgh, you could say just Penguins, you almost never do it Pittsburgh Penguins again, unless yeah. it's a quote. Yep. Uh, much like naming, just like a name, a, a, a player's name or a person's name mm. in a story, first and last upon first mention, <laughs> last name only for the rest, Yeah. unless there's a relative, and then, it's, then it gets finicky. But. Yeah. Uh, regardless, unless you think like I do, it's, um, I, I, I don't notice it as much as that person
0: did, obviously. Apparently. So that's the first time I've yeah. seen it. We've, I, we've been on YouTube now for over a year and a half. That's the first time I've seen it. So if you notice it going forward, I, I don't apologize. I don't care. It's the way I talk, but you know, Horwat, maybe you open the door for yourself there. The AP style handbook as maybe you have the point park hat on. Maybe you can go back and uh, be a professor here in the near future. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I would pull out my AP style book, but it's currently under my laptop, giving it a little lift right now. There you so. go.
0: Well, yeah, let's let's not mess with the camera shot here, because that would be a, a, a abuse of the other side of the AP style, which is the video side that we currently do. But let's talk about the power play right now, because the Pittsburgh Penguins, see, there it is. They shifted some things around over the weekend after a 1-for-6 start against the Florida Panthers. Mike Sullivan threw his offensive lines into a blender on the power play. 1-for-6, they go on the one opportunity in the late stages of the third period. They throw out on the first power play unit, Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, Valtteri Pustinen, and Chris Letang. That unit over the next game and a half registered four shots on goal and seven scoring chances in two minutes and 20 seconds of power play time. Second unit was Malkin, Ricard Raquel, Jeff Carter, Lars Eller, and Eric Carlson. They registered zero shots on goal and two scoring chances in just about a minute and 40 seconds of power play ice time. So before we get into whether or not this is sustainable, because they have played similar ice time in the three power play chances they've gotten since, what did you think of the changes, especially the timing of them late in a game when you're down a goal? Uh,
1: That shows that you know, when you're making that change, late in the game, down a goal, that shows that you are um, hoping and trying, not only hoping to see something change, but also forcing uh, the notice, kind of, I'm trying to think of the right way of putting it, you're essentially showing them that this needs to happen, like you guys need to figure it out. Uh, it's a little bit more um, hard coaching from a coaching standpoint. Like I said, it is more of a, you guys haven't figured it out. This is a clutch moment. If we, be- it essentially shows they didn't, that the coaching staff finally stopped believing in the group. Mm-hmm. That's what I was getting at. It was, if we believed in you, we would have let you go out in that, in that clutch opportunity. But because they didn't, they said, this is the time we need to change it right now. There's no other, uh, it's not going to get any better. Um, and they need anything. And sure. It may have felt like, uh, throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks moment. But because of the timing of it, mm-hmm. There was a little bit more heaviness to it, and be, and it all honestly showed that it was going to stick around for the next game because it's exactly what it did. And maybe that first one in the against Florida didn't look as great. Those two that I think it was two, right? Two that they two got against, against Montreal, Montreal far better. They didn't score, but they got generated chances. Mm-hmm. Crosby had an
0: open net that he doesn't yeah. normally miss. <laughs> Rolling um, puck, rolling puck. The the excuse, the uh, the commentators' handbook excuse. Oh, the puck was rolling, man. <laughs> He's the, the greatest player of no, all time. <laughs> he the net was at. also wide open. Yes,
1: <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's there's it, they got their chances. Both mm. sides seem to understand that hey, we're there's a reason why this is the setup right now. There's a reason.
0: Yeah, and I think um, it also, sorry, go ahead, finish your... No,
1: you're good. I had nothing else to it, just more or less. Maybe it goes back, but they they now have to understand that was the reason why it was like that.
0: Yeah, and I think it also caught the attention because it wasn't just dipping your toe into some changes. It wasn't just, hey, we're going to put Latang on the left flank now, or hey, we're going to put Raquel on the left flank now. Those minuscule changes have been made all season long, although Latang hasn't gone to the left flank since practically preseason, I'm pretty sure. I think I'd have to go back through, but I don't think he's played the left flank at all on the power play this season, even though that's what they initially thought that the plan was going to be, but it was Malkin and Carlson. You're off the top unit. You're not going out there. Yeah. And then they put on who a rookie in Valtteri mm-hmm. Pustin and Chris Letang. Now something about Valtteri Pustin he went on to that power play unit in December and it provided a spark. It ended the 0 for 38 streak and they scored a couple of ga- goals in a couple of straight games. They had two multi-goal performances on the power play in that week alone. Something about him seems to just generate opportunities for the top power play unit. It's not like the second power play unit was fantastic with him on it, but on the top power play unit, I don't know if it's his puck retrieval skills because that's something that I think should be looked at is the way that he's able to go and get those loose pucks, how quickly he's able to get to them, and how he knows what to do with the puck when, once he gets there. I think that's a big part of his game. But something about him and Latang and the way that that unit worked, and you mentioned in the late one against the Florida Panthers, the top unit looked great for the first... 59 seconds, because that's all they got. They got a couple of opportunities. The puck never left the zone when those guys were there. They got a couple of shots on goal. They had Bobrovsky sprawling a little bit. They come off the ice. Two seconds later, the offensive zone faceoff is taken, and the puck squirts past Evgeny Malkin and out into the zone. And then Eric Carlson tries to come back in on the breakout. He turns the puck over, and it goes out of the zone. So, again... They split it 50-50, but I don't think the performance was anywhere near 50-50 when it comes to what these two units looked like. The top unit looked much better than we've seen the power play look in countless weeks.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's again, you're not going to score every time, but at the same time you have to find some relative uh, consistency and look threatening. At least look threatening because this is something that we texted you about against Florida and it was very evident against Florida because... Teams know that teams know going into games where these their opponents stand in terms of uh, how good their power play or penalty kill is. And when you're the Penguins rolling into teams holding the 31st out of 32 mm-hmm. ranked power play, it's oh, okay, play them hard, take a few because you're it, it's not going to matter. They're not going to score on them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was I don't want to say that was necessarily the game plan from Florida, I think things just got out of hand. Yeah. But the Panthers took eight penalties. The Panthers took eight penalties. The Penguins scored on the first one before things really happened. They scored in the opening couple of minutes before yeah. That was kind of the, the start wheels. of it,
0: wasn't it? That yeah. is, it was the delayed penalty that Matthew Kachuk shot the puck yeah. into the net. So that's that was the start of it. They went and made him pay there, and then the rest of the game we just went off the handles because Jeff Carter did the same thing.
1: Yeah, it was – from that point on, though, it was – the, the Panthers knew that the the Flyers, oh boy, the Panthers knew that the Penguins weren't going to score in the power play, so it was, alright, fine, take a few, play them hard, get on, try and get under their skin, if you take a penalty, no big deal, they're not going to score on it anyway, that's a mindset that plenty of teams can take into games against the Penguins now, without, mm-hmm. without a threat of, you know, because when teams go into play the Edmonton Oilers, it's essentially don't. Don't take penalties against them. Yeah. They're, they're going to score. You're going to be down by two all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But when you're going against teams that just don't have a don't have their power play working or don't look threatening whatsoever, mm-hmm. go ahead, play them a little harder, play them a little chippier. If you take one or two, so be it. And they're not going to do anything anyway. In fact, you might even get an offensive opportunity mm-hmm. while shorthanded. Yeah. Um, and I think at the bare minimum, against Montreal again it was a much more ease at ease game. Uh, but The Penguins at least had a power play, at least a first unit, that looked kind of threatening. Yeah. So it's a step in the right direction for getting teams to not, you know, commit crimes against you. I was (laughs)
0: going to say take liberties, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. to, To the extent that we saw some of the things happening in the Florida Panthers game. I don't wouldn't say commit crimes, but assault is there. Um, uh, it's there. If, <laughs> to be thing. fair, one more side note and then we can get off of it.
1: If Matthew Kachuk connected on half the things he was trying to connect yeah. on Penguins players, I think we'd be talking about at least three other injuries. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. He was, there was like, I know Kachuk goes after
0: guys. There was something a little different about certain attempts he was going for. He was wound up in that yeah. game. And I'm not sure what it's going to look like. Cause they play once again, I believe on Valentine's Day, there's not going to be a lot of love lost between the Penguins and the Panthers in that one, but you mentioned it. It's not even that you have to score a goal every single time. It's build some momentum, carry some momentum, put the momentum in your team's favor when you're out there. If you're not going to score, at least do that. Penguins Mm -hmm. haven't been doing that for the majority of the season. So we saw that on Saturday against the Canadians. And I think that's something that you're hoping, at least going forward, once they continue to do that, the goals start to come and, You know, the bar is set very low. They're 31st in the league, like you mentioned. You can't get much worse than this. You could go to 32nd in the league, which would be the first time since 1984. Shout out to Bob Grove. But, you know, you can't get much worse. And at this point, it's been hurting this team so much that any progress is going to be a huge, huge, huge advantage for the Penguins going forward. But the question that I have for you is we saw only three power plays, but they've been trying to split them down the middle as evenly as humanly possible, probably to kind of balance the egos that you have on that second unit, not to say that it's a bad thing that some of these guys have egos. Listen, if you're going to be at the top of the game, one of the best players in the history of the league, you're going to have to have a little bit of an ego to stay there for as long as both of these guys and Malkin and Carlson have, but you do have egos to balance if you're Mike Sullivan. So that second unit got a minute 40, first unit got 220, do you think that two shift idea is sustainable for a power play, at least for the remainder of this season?
1: No, not when the second unit can't do anything. Yeah, it's it comes down to who can score, if, because we've also seen on quite a few occasions this year the first unit, even if as previously constructed with Carlson, Malkin, and company, uh, stay out there for a complete two minutes almost. Sometimes we've yeah. seen the second unit get no time on a single on a single opportunity so you know most of the time when they're out there for the full two minutes it's because they have possession and they are attacking and they are getting good chances um but if and i would assume that the new look first unit will have something similar because they've already proven they can attack they can threaten and they can be a productive group if they can just find the net yeah um so i would say that it's that sort
0: of 50-50 split isn't something that'll stick around, and mm-hmm. nor is it something that should stick around. No, it's similar, and I talked about this yesterday on Iceberg to Go. I liken it to the starting quarterback situation. If you have two starting quarterbacks, you really don't have one. Yep. If you have two power play units, you really don't have one because most teams don't have to even think about their second power play. You talked about the Edmonton Oilers. You know, it changes the way teams play, like you mentioned, at 5-on-5. Five five, and that is a huge, huge thing. The Pen- Penguins... Right now, it it changes the way teams play in a bad way. It makes them play harder against the Pens at 5-on-5, and the Penguins are a great 5-on-5 team. All analytics speak to the fact that the Penguins are great at 5-on-5. Their finishing is down, their power play is down, and those two things could be the poison pill that keep the Penguins outside of a playoff spot for the second consecutive season. Where do they rank in the Eastern Conference, Horwath? That's what we're going to talk about here after this quick break because we've reached the All-Star break. The Penguins are in a very muddled race for this wild card and the bottom of the Metropolitan Division top three. So it's very interesting where do they stand amongst the Eastern Conference. They've played every single one of these teams. We've seen the Penguins match up with every single team in the National Hockey League outside of the Winnipeg Jets and the Edmonton Oilers, the first of which will be remedied next Tuesday night when they get back in action. But let's talk about where they stand in the Eastern Conference right after this break. Welcome back to the tip of the iceberg podcast brought to you as always by inside the penguins a proud affiliate of the hockey news for what we've reached an unofficial halfway point of the season here with the all-star break we all know the halfway point was about two weeks ago when you hit the 41 game mark but once you get to the all-star break that's when everybody starts looking around starts to take stock of where everybody else is personally in my head, because I haven't paid too much attention to the Western Conference, I still had the thought process that the LA Kings were one of the best teams in the league. They have struggled mightily, mightily. I believe it's two, eight, and six or something in their last 14 or 15 games. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they've obviously dropped out of the top three because the Edmonton Oilers have won 16 straight games. So the Western Conference is an enigma in its own right. But then you look at the Eastern Conference. I see this in tears and I'll get into that in a second. The question that everybody wants to know, and by everybody, I mean me, cause I wrote it on the damn rundown. Where do you see the penguins ranking in the Eastern conference as of right now? Oh,
1: huh. I would say higher than what they're standing at. I really okay. would. Cause I look at the teams that are in front of them in the wild card race. It's they're tied with the devils and capitals. Listen, the devils had a outstanding year last year. Mm-hmm. I, I was not a believer then, and I'm not. And I'm not saying I'm. Be, I'm proving myself right here by saying that you know they're out of the playoffs at the moment. They could still absolutely show me up, mm-hmm. but at the moment I'm in the right in saying they were a one, a one hit wonder that can absolutely come back next year and be, the real deal for real this time because, um, I just saw their progression as a little quicker than it should have been. I thought right here, right now is where they where they were. Next year's gonna be a scary year for them. The Penguins are far better than the Capitals and you cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> well, Alex Ovechkin has 8 goals this year, guys. Uh, yeah. What? Yeah, they are far better than the Capitals this year. Um Buffalo and Montreal like I said, they're a few points behind the Penguins, but obviously I'd say they're fodder that's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. They're again, look for them next year. The Islanders are a point ahead. I don't know. They play such a weird style that they have 12 overtime losses. It's the only reason why they're the head of the Penguins right now, yep. by the way. Yeah. Um, And the Red Wings, I mean, they're five points, six points up, sorry. I, I don't know. I'd say the Penguins are better than the Red Wings, but they, I need to see them play each other one more time to really put that one through. Mm. The Flyers weren't supposed to be this good. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the Leafs, who knows what the hell is going on there? Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? Everyone else, I can absolutely see why and how they're better than the Penguins at the moment, like the Hurricanes, the Lightning, the Panthers, the Bruins. I get it. Mm -hmm. The Leafs are just a question mark. I don't know if the Penguins are better. I mean, on paper, definitely not. Mm -hmm. But um, something weird going on in Toronto. So I would say that if, if, if it's broken down into tiers, like you're saying, I don't know what your tiers look like, but I would say the Penguins are in that second tier. Higher in that second tier, too. That they are just... Get that power play rolling, and we have a completely different story. Find a little bit more production from Eric Carlson. We have a different story. Get a couple of more goals from the bottom six, yeah. or how about
0: Raquel and Smith? It's a completely different team. We're it, the Penguins could easily catch the Flyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they put it, if they put things together and become the team even without help from you know we talked about a couple of AHLers that are lighting the world on fire and, and right now in Sam Poulin and I don't even know if you want to consider Yessa Poul an AHLer he's an NHLer coming back yeah. from a double hip surgery but he's certainly lighting the world on fire at the AHL level now will that translate if the Penguins end up signing him and bringing him to the National Hockey League probably not at the level that he's at right now if so then the Penguins found a diamond in the rough and they're probably in the playoffs regardless if he ends up being that but again Temper your expectations for Yesapol Yarvi if he does come up to the National Hockey League level. But right now, plain and simple, I put the Pittsburgh Penguins at 8th in the conference. If I'm power ranking the Eastern Conference, I have them at 8th. And I told you that the way I came to that was breaking things down into tiers. There is a surefire top tier of four teams in my opinion. The Boston Bruins and the Florida Panthers are pretty untouchable when it comes to their ability to come in night in and night out and be a very good hockey team. The Carolina Hurricanes, when they put it all together, are a very good hockey team. And the same goes for the New York Rangers. They got off this year on a red-hot start, and now people on Broadway are losing their minds because they're hitting a lull. It's... But... Every team's going to hit a lull. That's the way it is. And Igor Shosturkin's not having a great season. So, all things considered, that is a team that at their best is a top-tier team in the Eastern Conference. That's where I cut it off for the top tier. I yeah. think there is a very small second tier where it's, this team's better than the pack that's all fighting for a playoff spot, but they're not untouchable like the top four, and that's the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that's, I struggled. I almost put the Tampa Bay Lightning in this tier by themselves, and I have the Toronto Maple Leafs there. Yeah. Because the, I think the, if the, they find an, a modicum of goaltending, they're... Upper second tier, close to the top tier, but they just haven't had goaltending. They're relying on Martin Jones for God's sake right now.
1: Yeah, there's a like I'm trying to write up my tiers as well a little bit as as you speak, and I'm mm-hmm. first of all, totally agreeing with you on those top four teams. Before I even get to tier two, though, like I have tier one: Boston, Florida, New York, Carolina. Mm-hmm. Before I even get to tier two, I just have three question marks. Like, what exactly are these two teams? And that is Tampa Bay and and Toronto. Yeah, where? Because on paper toronto should be far better than what they are but goaltending and also slumps from certain people not doing them well tampa bay uh, yeah you didn't have uh the goaltender vasilevsky name, yeah thank you didn't have vasilevsky to start the season okay well your captain's also angry uh, but you also have how is no one discussing the fact that uh, nikita kutrov has 80 plus points already this season yeah, yeah he's ridiculous hello yeah and so does Nathan McKinnon, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, But yet you're not, you know, at the top level. Don't know. So, like, what exactly is that team? Also, they really are just a couple points away from falling out of a playoff spot as well. Mm. And then like I said and then that's where I put the penguins
0: up because I feel like they're better than every other team that we just that we're about to discuss. Yeah, that's exactly where I put them as well. I put them at wait, wait a minute. Let me do see if I did my math there correctly. 4 plus 2 is 6. Oh no, I have them at 7th in the Eastern Conference right now. Um I have them at the top of the third tier. I think there is another delineation point there after Tampa and Toronto and then you have the rest of the teams. Personally, and I think Pittsburgh leads the way there, and honestly, that might be why I put them in eighth. I have them kind of on even ground with the Detroit Red Wings because that Red Wings team is intriguing because they have a a variety of experience. They have a variety of different types of players. That's an intriguing team. I'm not sure if they're a team that, you know, with the eyes are playing in effect. I'm not sure this is the season that they push into a postseason. They're obviously hoping that they do, but I'm not exactly sure where to place them. But I 100% know the Penguins, in my eyes, based on what I've seen this season, are better than the Philadelphia Flyers, are better than the New Jersey Devils, are better than the Washington Capitals, and are better than the New York Islanders. And that's the rest of the teams that I have in tier three. Everybody else is in the, the fourth tier and the bottom tier, but... I think the Penguins have a case for it, certainly all against all those teams in the Metropolitan Division, especially when I've seen them go head-to-head. Yes, the Devils have the Penguins' number, but the Devils are a team that are struggling to stay healthy right now. Let's not forget Jack Hughes has missed a handful of games this season, and that is absolutely massive for them. And I just feel like it—it's something seems off with that organization this year. Philadelphia is magic beans <laughs> that is going yeah. to run out. I, and Washington... Even though they went out to a 4-1 to lead against the Penguins, they got absolutely shelled in the second and yep. third period and are lucky they didn't lose that game. So I have the Penguins above those teams. Now, I might be wrong. Maybe I'm looking at it with rose-colored glasses here as we're separated from a couple days from the games. But I feel like the Penguins are at the top of that third tier, which would put them in seventh or eighth place in the conference, depending on where you have them versus the Detroit Red Wings.
1: Like I, like I said, if the Penguins were able to really figure out certain things they'd be up in that top tier as well because we're ha- because there is Sidney crosby having an mvp caliber season there's jake gensel putting up a great year in a, in a contract season um if Kenny malkin you know has been sloppy at times but it's still if Kenny malkin chris Tang has looked great on the defensive side of the puck if like if certain things could figure themselves out they'd be up there and what's really fun about the detroit red wings as i'm looking at it uh, like you mentioned all like, you know they have the skaters they have the offense and the defense that are able to really carry a good team that goaltending is a question mark though yeah like Alex Lyon's been good yeah, he's been pretty good he's got you know, in his last five appearances three and two pretty solid not bad but is he is he their starter and if Alex Lyon is your starter I know what he did last season but that doesn't strike me as formidable almost huso as a starter does a little bit more than Alex Lyon but I just had his numbers up from the last five and he is not doing great. Oof, yes. Yeah. One, three, and one. Mm. In his last five starts. So oh he didn't even get those last two decisions. Alright, well, um that's in my mind he should have been the starter. So who knows exactly how Detroit plays their goaltending hand? Mm. Um also Vili is hurt now that I'm looking at the dates of those. Yes. Uh so you have James Reimer as your backup. So, yeah, that's a questionable team, man. Questionable. So I can see the Penguins at the moment because the Penguins can't figure their own nonsense out uh, being at the same level as the Red Wings, where it's you know, both of these teams could easily be better with certain things going in the proper direction.
0: Yeah, the Penguins, certainly when you look at them versus the Red Wings versus the Flyers versus the Devils versus the Caps, versus the Islanders, I would assume it, most people would say the Penguins, if you look at what they've done this season as far as goaltending-wise, are one of the top two teams there. I would say the Islanders probably. I would I would take Ilya Sorokin, and I think their backup is still Semyon Varlamov. I'd probably take them over a lot of these teams, but I'd take the Penguins duo over everybody else in that lineup there. It's certainly yeah. the lineup you just mentioned with Ville Husso and Alex Lyon. And listen, Alex Lyon, people might get... You know, a couple trembles because of what he was able to do with the Panthers to kick the Penguins outside of the playoffs. But let's not forget, the Penguins kicked themselves out of the playoffs last season, not Alex Lyon. Like, he got the Panthers to the playoffs, but the Penguins are the reason that the Penguins missed the playoffs. We all know that. But I think that at their best, the Penguins have proven they can play with anybody in this league on any given night. They just need to find a little bit more consistency. Only two win streaks of more than two games this season, Horwat, You're not going to make the playoffs doing that. They have a three-game win streak and a five-game win streak, and outside of that, they haven't won more than two straight. They need to start stacking these wins, especially when you talk about the games in hand, because if you can win those games in hand, not only are you right back in the thick of things points-wise, but you're in a playoff spot, and you're getting closer to separating yourself from the Washington Capitals of the world, from the New York Islanders of the world, from the New Jersey Devils. So... The Penguins need to start stacking wins coming out of this all-star break, and I think that is the biggest thing for them is build on the momentum that you create because a lot of the time, we've seen it in games, we talked about it too, when you get momentum, when you score a goal, they automatically give up the momentum, and whether that's giving up a goal or whether it's just playing on your back on your heels for the next, whatever, three, four, five minutes, the Penguins haven't been able to build on momentum at all this season. That's what they need to do coming out of the break, and hopefully, wherever they're at, Whatever beaches or ski slopes, you know, people like different things. Wherever they're at on their vacation, they're getting a good rest because they're going to need to start building and stacking and stacking as this season goes on if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive and if they want to get back to postseason hockey, which at the end of the day is what we all want to see them do. Of course.
1: Yeah, it's a matter of finding that consistency. and I think you could probably ask anyone in that locker room, you know, what is the key to... Um, getting back to the certain level every single one i'm just going to say just finding consistency every mm-hmm. single one of them that's been the biggest issue and we can discuss the power play all day we could discuss goaltending all day even though it's been pretty good sloppy at times but pretty solid it's just going
0: to be consistency yeah so we look at the penguins do i think there's room for them to improve in the eastern conference when it comes to ranking them Yeah, I think there's some space there. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are catchable. I think the Tampa Bay Lightning this year are catchable. If the Penguins can put together, I don't know, maybe even the 23rd ranked power play in the National Hockey League, they're probably close into that second tier. They probably are. So that's what they need to do, a better power play, and they need to get more out of their $5 million wingers as we discussed. And if you can't get more out of them, then open up the space. Trade them and give opportunities to guys like Sam Poulin, who is currently playing well at the AHL level, to Val- Valtteri and who has looked good in the top six and has looked fine in the bottom six as well. You know, he- he's getting less opportunities, but he's still making some pretty good chances out of those opportunities, and he certainly doing a lot in the eyes of the coaching staff to get more responsibilities, especially in the bottom half of the lineup, and see him start to climb in that ice time once again. I think that's something that is showing me that Valtteri Pustin is a player that Mike Sullivan wants to keep on this team as long as he possibly can. So, we'll have to keep our eye out on things. We have plenty to discuss the rest of the week. We have an interview coming up on Thursday with Jordan DeFigio of the Fly Penguins Fly Game Game Podcast, so make sure you tune into that on Thursday, and we'll have plenty of content for you throughout the rest of this bye week through the All-Star weekend and getting you set for the latter half of the NHL season, Penguins against the Winnipeg Jets one week away from today. It's a lot of time without hockey, but not a lot of time without hockey talk. We'll be here on Inside the Penguins on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcast from at Tip of the Iceberg. We'll see you guys next time.